Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast episode number 889 with Tommy Baker about his new book entitled The Leap of Your Life, How to Redefine Risk, Quit Waiting for Someday, and Live Boldly. This podcast number 889 is brought to you by Dr. John Raddy, co-author with Edward Hollowell on a new book entitled ADHD 2.0, New Science and Essential Strategies for Thriving with Distraction from Childhood through Adulthood. In this interview, we speak about how people can cope with ADHD and excel with their diagnosis. I encourage you to listen to this very informative and lively interview with Dr. Raddy as he talks about some of the arsenals and new strategies and lifestyle hacks for thriving with ADHD. If you want to learn more about Dr. Raddy and ADHD 2.0, please visit his website at www.johnrattye.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Tommy Baker about his new book, The Leap of Your Life. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, is Tommy Baker. And Tommy was referred to me by someone else who's been on this show, Luke Dupron. And for those of you who don't know, Luke is an exercise physiologist extraordinaire, wonderful guy. Uh, Tommy was on his show. And most people know we kind of Trade names. Everybody trades names in this business. You know, who, who'd you have that was a good guest? Good day to you, Tommy. How are you doing? Greg, thank you so much uh, for having me and excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you on the show and to spend a few minutes with our listening audience. And I want to let the listening audience know a little bit about you. Um, but also, I also want to say we're going to focus most of our intention on the Leap of Your Life book, uh, Live Boldly. This was a Wiley book, did come out in 2019. And uh, Tommy has a new book coming out. And it's not this book. This is another one of Tommy's books, The 1% Rule. And I want to mention that. Uh, But he's got one called Hustlers and Seekers. So go to his website and uh, check it out. Download the chapter. It gives a free chapter. And you can get it at Resist averageacademy.com resist average academy and we'll put a link uh to the blog there a bit about tommy uh he's an author he's a speaker he's a coach uh he's the host of the resist at average academy a top rated podcaster and tommy helps those with a bold vision reverse engineer their success and step boldly into the direction of their dreams And, you know, I was just on this morning with a good friend, wrote a book called Die Trying, One Man's Quest to Conquer the Seven Summits. And Bo has actually uh, conquered every of the highest peaks. K2 was his last one, Everest twice. Um, And, you know, I asked him a question, Tommy, and this is, I think this is in line before we actually get into it. You know what? allows you to take the next step each time when you know that you're getting closer to death. And what do you think his answer was? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, um, that's, that's, I, I don't know. It could be anything from, uh, having a why to knowing what, why you're there. Um, I'm curious because I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with mountaineering in the sense of, uh, that I live vicariously through them. You, you won't see me up there, but I live vicariously through these amazing feats. Well, you know what he said? And, and in the process, he got very emotional about it, but he always had ADHD and he was always kidded uh, as a young man in school, in college. Everything was hard for him. Everything was difficult. And he said that, you know, I always needed to do better and he needed to make the next step. So mm. it wasn't about him thinking about that he could die on Everest or K2. One out of four people die on K2. They never make it back. Yeah. They never make it back. Um, and, you know, he, he is just, his story is compelling. I'm not here to kind of promote Bo's book, but I think it goes along with what you teach. And in 2019, you wrote this book, right? And you state in this book that every day passing us by is a reminder of what hasn't happened and that we have we've created a box called someday. Maybe I always love the yeah. someday mating. If you tell us a little about your story, how you've experienced the edge. Cause when you go to your website, you actually see lots of pictures of the edge, the edge of a cliff, the edge of a mountain. Sure. Uh, and then I saw a picture of you uh, uh, parachuting of which I've done. Um, <laughs> and you said experiencing the edge and then clicking the record button on your iPhone. And you literally was like freezing cold. And I remember you were outside in the middle of something, a park or somewhere, and you sure. left this big party. Um, and what propelled you um, to take your dreams off hold at that point in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. And this someday mentality, it's, you know, it, it can lead to dire consequences, as you know, Greg, because um, our ego will say, wait until it's the right time, wait until the kids are out of the house, wait until the pandemic is over, wait until there's a new president in office. And I could just go on and on and on. It doesn't matter what the reason is. Um, it's the same exact prescription. Just wait. And when we wait, like we always have insights in our day to day, even on a micro level, have an insight, talk to this person, reach out to this person, pitch yourself for this, uh, send a, a note to the recruiter, wh whatever it may be. Uh, in that moment, the insight is 100% clear. But every moment after, we start to question ourselves. So to say, who am I to do that? Or maybe I need another cer certification. Maybe I need to go back to grad school, may all of these things. And so it's like fear loves distance, space, and time between insight and execution. So in regards to your story, um, I had built a business um, that I was no longer passionate or felt the same purpose around. Um, and I knew that about eight months before this uh, specific scene that I'm describing inside of, of the book. Um, I also uh, wanted to make a change in my environment. And I knew that probably seven years before that. Um, and so I had a moment where I realized that I was going to wake up in five years uh, using a visualization technique that I that I use and, and teach, uh, and I call it in the book I call it reverse visualization, which is uh, I think it's a beautiful to visualize on the positive. But I was visualizing uh, on the quote unquote reality of my life that would be if I stayed in the same place. And so that evening, 
you know, and I felt stuck and I felt stifled and I felt emotionally hollow at times. Um, that evening I said, uh, I declared into an iPhone. I recorded a voice note. It's four minutes and 27 seconds. I believe it's four minutes, something. And I just painted a vision for what the future could look like. And it was different than the one that I was living, of course. Um, but I had no blueprints. I had no action steps. I didn't know what to do next. Uh, I just let it out. And that was the genesis of uh, my own, my leap of, of my life um, in, in that in that season of my life, because we go on constant leaps. Uh, but that's where it all started, Greg. Uh, interestingly enough, I think for a lot of people, it they get to a certain pain point in their life, whether it's yes. a pain of the environment, it's a pain of something that's agitated them enough. And I think all my listeners can relate to this that they realize they have to take a step forward and change their environment, change their business, change their relationship, change their money situation, whatever it might be, whatever it is that was causing them pain. Um, And they can't wallow in it anymore because it's a great pain. You know, it's an interesting analogy between, you know, when a pain starts physically inside your body and how long it takes you to go see a doctor. Uh, yeah. the, the issue here now is you're your own doctor uh, and you realize that that ego is speaking to you all day long, every day. It never goes away. You know, you're not enough. You can't do it. Blah, 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 whatever it is, the voice. Sure. And, you know, you teach this. Now, you interviewed over 250 of the world's most powerful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, athletes, you know, must remind me of kind of like uh Somebody like me, that's what I've been doing. But at the same time, every time I get Stephen Kotler on here, I look at, wow, extreme sports. How do we hack flow? How do we get into this position? And you discovered uh, what it it took a leap of faith, even if they were filled with fear and these decisions that they used to change their life. And I remember a story about Simone Biles. You know, she was talking about, this last Olympics, right? And and it didn't quite turn out for Simone the way she had anticipated this last Olympics. Uh, Sure. She didn't kind of end up there. But as an athlete, she practiced all the way through the pandemic. And she was doing moves that were unheard of. Um, Somewhere along the line, she even admitted, because her family wasn't there, the fear hit in. Ah, Mm -hmm. right? Here's an Olympic athlete. The fear set in around even doing some of these moves, these extreme moves that she'd practiced in practice. Can you tell us a few of the stories and the decisions that these people made in spite of that fear that they had? Because you obviously interviewed 250 of them. Yeah, it's about a quarter of yours. But yes, I have Um, (laughs) working, working my way up. But yeah, I mean, what I noticed, Greg, was you know this pattern come up time and time again, and and one of the reasons why I didn't just make the book about business leaps is because sometimes we do need to take a leap in another area of our lives um, that can create the force field and the energy to give us the perspective and the reminder that um, we can change many different aspects of our lives. Um, but sometimes we need to start with something that might seem um, if, for example, uh, instead of taking a business leap, maybe 
uh, you know, I had stories of people who signed up for an Ironman and they had never done one, uh, not even close, right? So that's a physical leap. Uh, it's a, that's a, a challenging event to sign up for and to complete, but that the confidence that they got from that then gave them the mindsets and the skills and the belief that they could do it in another area, stuff like that. Um, so the, the main pattern that I recognized was um, fear is actually a compass to lean into that usually now this, you know, the caveat is that we are, when you're pursuing something that's in alignment, right? If you're doing something that's completely out of bounds of what you want or whatever, um, you know, it's, this is a different story, but when you're, when there's something in alignment, it's the writer who, you know, can be very close to, you know, writing their book, but they're working for a publishing company, but really what they want to do is actually write their own work. That, using fear as a compass and leaning in instead of stepping away. And um, the stakes, you know, and this happens in all, all different types of uh, uh, stakes. It can be very high stakes, but it can also be low stakes in the sense that if we're willing to have the courage to step towards the fear, the path will slowly start to reveal itself and reveal itself and reveal itself. So on the podcast, I've just talked to so many people I mean, every person has a leap story. And I know somebody listening right now, they have their own leap story. Um, but sometimes we forget and we we don't we don't use the same principles for the next change that we're gonna make. And so I wanted to distill, you know, over and over again, leaps in physicality, physicality, leaps in business, leaps in spiritual, um, and all of these different arenas, relationship leaps that contributed directly to performance, to growth, to fulfillment, um, and incredible experiences across all types of domains. And I'm, you did a great job of it. And I think the book for our listeners gives you an opportunity to delve into this. And I, and I think, uh, you know, along these lines, there has always been this old saying that fear is the false expectation appearing real. And I know you've heard that and you've probably used it. And, but the reality there is this. Uh, you know, we don't have to believe everything we think. And what ends up happening is we paint pictures inside of our minds of things that we think are going to be drastic that are going to happen and it, you know, why I can't do it, whatever. And statistics have proven this. And I wanted to state this, that all the science that's gone around this says that 93% of the time that never happens. Yeah. So 93% of the picture we painted of the negative reality of what could occur doesn't usually happen, you know, may happen 7%. Um, If you can tell the listeners what the ingredients are of the leap are and why, if they play it safe, they will have a lifetime of regrets. And I love your statement uh, that the greatest risk is not taking one. Now, I want to say something about risk. You can take calculated risk. You don't just have to take this big risk. You, you, at one point, you talk about Felix Baumgartner. That was very yes. calculated. Very, yes. Everything was worked out to the last degree, right? But tell us exactly. about these regrets and uh, our, why we would regret it. Yeah, 100%. No, and I love that you brought up uh, Felix because, you know, in, to be honest, in his world, it yes, it was a risk, but it wasn't the risk that we think because to him, 
a random Tuesday means space jumping out of a plane, uh, given his skill set, his capacity, his experience. Um, so to the outside world, it was like, oh my God. And it was, but to him, he had supreme confidence that he was going to make it. I mean, otherwise, of course, they would have never done it. So what are some ingredients? Um, you know, some of the stuff that comes up usually is uh, our intuition or, you know, what I call like these whispers that we have tends to, as time goes by, um, you know, during, during the quiet moments of life when we're, we're with ourselves or in solitude or whatever it may be, maybe in, um, you know, when we're, the plane is leveling off at 37,000 feet or uh, we put the kids to bed and we have some quiet, usually the whispers start to come up. And so just say, hey, Greg, hey, Steve, hey, Maria, Sarah, hey, hey, look, look at this. Look at, look at this over here. And we squash it, right? We don't have the time. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to make any money. Why would I do that? And then over time, this, the whispers just get a little bit louder and louder and louder and louder. And ultimately, they wind up in what you talked about, which was that pain moment, right? And that's, that can be a rock bottom of sorts. That can be um, you wanted to start your business. You had whispers for years. And then you walked into your employer and they just they said, we no longer lead you. Goodbye. You know, it could be one of those more painful moments where we realize, wow, I had, I had the idea to do this five years ago. I gave myself to this company and now this huge part of my life is no longer there, but I never made any progress on the thing. So the, the, the intuition is big. Um, I call, you know, leaning into your edge, which is it's, it's, uh, it's the part of you that's, you know, if, if you, if, if there, if the fear wasn't there or if it wasn't overwhelming or it was the thing that you would have already started to make progress on. It's something that calls you deep within um, another ingredient is that you could be hesitant to share it with other people because it's vulnerable. Um, although I think you obviously should share it with people. So these are some of the things that, you know, I say when I, when I talk to people, it's like, okay, you know, that there's something that needs to happen. You know, there's a move that you need to make now what? And so when we talk about regrets, cause I studied a lot of regrets, especially for, for this book. Um, it's very obvious. We regret the things that we that we didn't do, you know, even if we take a chance and we fail the regret and the research shows it is so much lower than if we just think about something and not doing it. And so in the book on chapter three, I start the, I start the chapter off with a real account of someone's regret. It's actually uh, a famous post that was um, posted on Reddit, uh, you know, like seven, eight years ago, something like that. Um, about a real life character. And, and, and the reason why I use that is because we need reminders of this, Greg. Uh, we need reminders of regret because time is going to pass. And if we lack urgency and we don't do it, um, if we don't take any type of leap, if we don't take a chance, then um, that's how, it, that's how we, we wake up and we, we wake up in an emotionally hollow or difficult place. Um, and it's always the things that we did not do or the things that we did not say. And to your point, this is not about taking risks. Uh, you know, uh, we all have a risk tolerance. Um, but like I said, the greatest risk is actually looking back and saying, you know what? I had a window of opportunity. I had, I had this, this, this season in my life, or I had these, this intuition that was calling me forward or this thing that I wanted to create and I didn't actually do it. And now what? And I say in the book, it's never too late. But in life, we do have these windows. And these windows could last five seconds. When I met my fiance, I had you know, my, my wife now, I had five seconds, Greg. If I missed it by five seconds on the front end or the back end, 
I'm gone. Or it might be a three-year window or a seven-year window. But if you miss your window, you might never get that specific circumstance back. And that's the thing that kind of can really haunt us. I think from a, a spiritual, as I'm reflecting on what you're saying, a spiritual standpoint, and depending on my listeners' philosophies, I understand many of them uh, that listen to my show, Eastern Philosophy. So there is something that Dalai Lama talks about and is spoken in the Buddhist traditions around contentment. Um, and while I do not disagree at all to resist average or to take a risk, I also think that getting attached to an outcome is a, a setup for a failure because we never know what the outcome is going to be. So in other words, if you say, well, I'm going to make a million dollars by the time I'm 26 years old and that doesn't happen, then you're going to have a regret you didn't make the million dollars. So That's the true. question yeah. is, don't set yourself up for those regrets as a result of that. Or I was supposed to marry that girl, but instead some other girl came along and it, who knows, could have been just as good. Is your life on purpose or is it by accident? We know as long as you set these things, your life is on purpose. On the other hand, you tell the reader that their leap is inside of them, that the edge is where the decision happens, and to honor the real reason they're here. That's purpose. Uh, what advice would you give our listeners about acting on their dreams and what they're missing by not taking action? Yeah, no, I, I love that. and. Um... You know, I think I think the biggest thing is, you know, when when you when you were talking about, uh, you know, the being attached to a result. The the great thing about taking leaps in life is that, listen, I, I've taken a lot of leaps that that did not work out. Me, and I, put work. <laughs> I have more that didn't work out. If you've read my book, than did. Yes. Yeah, you know, I got it right here. <laughs> yeah, and so and, and the thing is, I put work out in quotes though because. What the hell are we talking about when we talk about worked, you know? And that's that goes right. to the point of your uh, your comment about attachment, you know, that when you take a leap, you might fail at the specific leap at the specific time. So let's say, for example, you've been in your nine to five for 15 years. You take a leap to go full time on your own. Maybe your first product or your first brand service, whatever it may be, maybe that quote unquote fails. And yet taking that action and taking that leap opened up a connection or a door that was previously unavailable and in invisible to you because you had the courage to take that first leap. And then you arrive at something um, that you could have never even imagined. I mean, that's one of the cool things about taking leaps is that you can set a perfect vision and you can have all of that stuff set up. And sometimes when you do that, when you, when you finish your leap, you realize this is even better than I could have imagined, but I couldn't have imagined it because I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, so there's that. And then I believe, so, so the comment about clarity, I hear from people all the time, Greg, I don't know what your experience is. I hear the following phrase, Tommy, I don't have clarity. And I understand that. And I've also said those words too. So I completely empathize with that feeling. However, um, I've had uh, about 100 people at least come out here to Arizona um, and I take them through an experience where we hike this mountain and it's a, it's a, you know, experiential training thing. When we get to the top of the mountain, 
mind you, I haven't coached them at all except through to you know to, to get to the top. And when we get to the top, uh, they're t- they have tears streaming down their eyes, and they have more clarity than you and I could ever even imagine. I mean, they have details of clarity just oozing and pouring out of them. So, did that just you know how how did that happen? Right? I didn't I didn't I didn't do anything except take it through an experience that anybody can do. Um, and it doesn't take a mountain, by the way, you can do it today on without that. But my argument and what the book says is that, um, everybody already has some clarity inside of them. That does not mean that we don't get more clarity as we move on. But it, what it means is don't wait to have you know, the perfect picture and the full clarity to, to act. Otherwise you'll be waiting forever. Agreed. The action steps that you can take, and I, and it, you know, life is a series of iterations. I was reminding a writer this morning, the guy, the mountain climber, uh, who's writing another new book about K2, that, you know, if you follow Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, you understand that everything that we take on in this act, in this play, in this stage in our life, all of those. Act one, act two, act three, act four that we're in, we're playing a role. Uh, that role is meant to teach us something, right? We're going to walk away with new knowledge, new expertise, new wisdom, and we're going to apply that to our life, to the next act, yeah. whatever that may be. And life is a series of acts until you close the chapter and there are no more acts for you which is what you're trying to get people to do is realize the series of acts in earth. What would you tell the listeners about reframing fear? And you mentioned three of them in the book. And I think the way that you reframe fear is very encouraging and will provide a shift in the mindset of the listeners um, about how they can face fears head on. You specifically had them in the book and there were three of them. And I think they're great reframes. No, fantastic. Thank you for that. And so we have to reimagine and reframe our relationship with fear. Um, I mean, you know, Seth Godin talks about this, right? He says, you know, and he calls it the resistance. It's the same thing. Fear, resistance, you know, war of art by, uh, um, or is it art of war? Art of war. You know, yeah, Yeah, there we go. Stephen Pressfield. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All of those are saying the same thing, right? They're they're basically saying, um, and it's what I'm saying too. It's like, we have to reimagine our relationship with fear. So the first reframe, I already mentioned it, but it's fear is your compass, right? So I give the example in the book of, you know, you have this, this dread and this fear over having a tough conversation uh, with your with a boss, or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, you have a fear of having a tough conversation with an employee. Um, but if we re- reframe that, that actually one is going to lead to clarity. Two, it's going to make you better at dealing with high stakes conversations. So, number one, fear is your compass to dot 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 to lean into your edge, to acquire skills, to build your resilience, to uh, create fulfillment, performance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's number one. Number two is um, fear is, is it's, it's an ally. It's not something to avoid all the time. Um, you know, yes, there are times when fear, like you said, there's 7% of the time when fear is, you know, becomes realized. I, I hike here in Arizona. So when I see a rattlesnake in the morning, um, it's important for me to feel that fear. It's exhilarating and it, it gets me moving out, out, outside of it. 
However, every time I see one, the next like two or three hikes, I'm seeing them everywhere, Greg. They're all over the place. It doesn't serve me. It served me for that snapshot, that second to avoid the snake on the trail. But every other time, it's actually taking me away from having the experience that I'm designed to. So the second reframe is that fear becomes an ally into what we have to do and what we should do and what we should lean into. Um, and then the third one is that you know fear is is a prerequisite to um, you know if if someone shares a goal with me, uh, Greg, and there isn't, and they're just ah, that's that's yeah, they're they have this attitude that it's like it's the easiest thing ever, and they're almost nonchalant about it. I don't consider that. Um, I don't. I, I need to dig deeper into that because if it's truly valuable. Um, for us on a deep level, if it's really important for us, it's going to stretch our comfort zone, then there's always going to be some type of fear. And so those are the three reframes that I, I look for. And then I'm constantly trying to adapt. By the way, this isn't, you don't, you don't start with the highest stake situations, right? I'm not advising to uh, head to K2 uh, anytime soon. But what I'm advising is start to build the muscle and the emotional habit of leaning into your fear in low stake situations. So you're uh, lying in a coffee shop and you see a stranger with a book that you've read and like the voice inside says, go speak to them. But the ego voice says, ah, they're probably busy. It doesn't make any sense. Lean into that, right? Lean into small ways in your day to day and start reframing your relationship and see what happens. Like I guarantee that conversation at minimum leads to a, a cool connection of shared values, right? And, uh, and the more that you do this, the more that you build this muscle of leaning into your fear. And then you can use that for higher stake situations in your life, your business, your career, and your relationships. Excellent. Uh, excellent reframes for people. And thank you for that. And I think that example you said about the book, you know, someone reading a book and maybe go over and over, going over and speaking with them and you have this fear. Well, I don't want to bother him. I don't yeah. whatever. That's a great little um cliche and what i might say is you know when i i say cliche nothing ventured nothing gained uh so there is absolutely no gain and the worst thing that could happen is they say go away tommy i don't want to talk to you um and if if you have to build resiliency maybe to do that because that is something that not a lot of people have the ability to do like maybe i'm sure you do because you're very outgoing and you can do that, but that isn't our normal personalities. That's what people that listen to us on these podcasts probably think. Oh, well, these guys do a podcast; they're very outgoing. They do blah blah blah. That that was yes. I kind of have to force <laughs> myself to do that. Okay, sure. I even sure. today still have to force myself to do that in a Starbucks. All I'm saying to my listeners is, just because I have a podcast and I've done almost 900 podcasts, doesn't mean that this is always easy. It means what it is, is that if every day you wake up and you do something you're uncomfortable doing, that's it. Yeah. just do it because that's what's going to get you to grow. Do something you're uncomfortable with. I don't care what it is, hiking to the top of the mountain. And at the end of the day, you're going to look back and you go, wow, I did it. It was great. Yes. You know, yes. so that brings me to your chapter on the life unlived. You speak about regrets. We've already talked about it, but you live. And you say, how we use regrets to make bold decisions. Now, I know you've had plenty, and I'd like for you to tell our listeners how you've leveraged some of the regrets you've had 
to actually live a bold life. Yeah, I love that, Greg. And so, you know, researchers talk about regret in the sense that um, it's actually a hopeful emotion, which is, it sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? Right? Like regret. How is that hopeful? Um, now, it's it's how you use it that that becomes hopeful. Now, a lot of people tend to ruminate on their regrets. So it's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask this person out 10 years ago. And it's like, I missed my chance. I missed my chance. I mean, it's like, at some point, that's not going to help you moving forward. Just like uh, the ability to own it and then move on. And we all have, you know, you know, I, I empathize because because um, this is part of our, our lives. However, you can use past regrets because I hear this all the time. And this was also my life um, as leverage to make new decisions. And so all, all we have to do is like look back at some of the biggest regrets of, of our lives, the times that we hesitated or we didn't make a move and how we felt after that and kind of the impact it had on our lives. Um, and by getting really clear about those emotional states, we can then leverage those and say, you know what, just because that happened in the past doesn't define my future or, or who I am today. However, the next time I'm presented with that opportunity at the Starbucks, the next time I'm presented at that, with that opportunity um, to grow my business or to make this move or to leave my environment, um, I'm going to make a new choice based on the pain that I experienced from the last time. Um, so for me, I had a litany of regrets. I was chasing a career on wall street that was completely out of alignment. Um, and you know, I was doing well inside of that role. Um, and I stayed, you know, the entire time I stayed way too long, you know? And so it was like the regret of waking up to a place, uh, waking up and not being excited about my day, not looking forward to what I was doing, doing work that I, I didn't believe in at, at all. Like at the in fact, you know, um, I have very harsh critique about that industry in general, just from a moral perspective. So all of these, all of these things, all of these regrets about how long I stayed inside of one industry or one place, um, fueled my ability to make new decisions later on in terms of my career to say, I, I don't want to feel that ever again. And if I don't want to feel that ever again, then I better make some new choices because otherwise I'm going to end up in another Wall Street. And it's not going to be Wall Street. It's going to be a different version of Wall Street, but it's going to be the thing that I don't want to do. And so there's that. There's re- relationship regrets, right? We have an experience in a relationship um, where the relationship turns turns sour or turns toxic or there's a lot of back and forth that's very unhealthy. Okay. You, you regretted how you showed up in that circumstances or the decisions you made. Great. How is that going to impact the next relationship or how is that going to impact your current relationship? So Greg, I just believe that um, instead of beating ourselves up for our regrets, that's not what this is about. It's about staring the regrets in the face and saying, this is what I learned. This is what I felt. And going forward, next time I'm presented with an opportunity, now I have more knowledge. Now I have more wisdom to make a new choice. Well, I think those regrets, the way you're using them was the proper use of them. And I want to add a little bit of story here, a real quick one. Um, You know, I go to meditation retreats on the Orcas Islands, and I do it with Dr. Joel and Michelle Levy. I've been doing those retreats for quite some time. And I remember a story about the bringing in the Buddhist monks, and these monks would come over and uh, they'd say, well, is there anything we can get you? Um, you know, because they usually travel pretty light. There isn't a lot of baggage they're carrying. And they say, well, I would like to get a watch. I love this story. A watch. 
Why do you want to watch? Well, because at the end of their bedpost, they put a, a watch and a skeleton. You're like, wow, that's weird. Why? That's Halloween. Why a skeleton? To remind themselves of how much time they have left. Mm. And the reality is, is, you know, when you shift your perspective about each day being a gift, the whole thing of fear and regret starts to remove itself from your consciousness because you now are living in a life of gratitude for what you've actually been given. So it's like what most people want to watch so they can figure out how I'm going to be on time. They're, they're saying I'm taking a watch because the minutes are ticking away and I only have so many more left to do what I have to do. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I I loved the story and the context of the story because it gives you a shift in perspective about the gratitude you should have every day you wake up to be able to do what you do. And in this risk redefined, you speak about the three risk pillars. Can you speak about these pillars and how this will get us to see risk in a different light? And I think that's why I told the story pre this is because there is only one risk. Yeah. And that risk is that you may not wake up tomorrow. And the question is, if you're okay with that, then there's no risks. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Because if you don't wake up, you get hit by a bus, you die in your sleep, you do, you know, my son was at dinner with me the night. He's about your age. And he says, you know, one of our friends, he passed away in his sleep. He's only 30 something years old. And he was really kind of down by it. And I understand that. He had had a congenital heart thing and had a surgery earlier in the year, but everything was okay. He was doing great. Um, The point is, we all go to bed every night, never knowing we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. And if you're okay with what you have and what you've created in life, then these risks don't appear so much as risks. Exactly. These regrets don't appear so much as regrets. They appear as learning lessons along the way that you can take them into your consciousness and move on. So how would you take this in a different light? These, these pillars you talk about to put risk in a different light. No, that's great. And I love that you mentioned the urgency because that's, that's really what this is about. And urgency around our lives is actually not stressful. In my opinion, a lack of urgency becomes stressful because that's how we put things off and put things off and put things off. And that to me is the highest source of stress. So having urgency, like what you, what you talked about, you know, I, I meditate on my own death. I'm sure you've done this many times, you know, if you, since you practice Buddhism and stuff, like I will meditate on my own death, watch my body become nothing but dust and bones and return to the earth. And, uh, you know, somebody listening, oh, that sounds kind of negative. It's actually incredibly positive. It's incredibly liberating and reminds me to say what needs to be said uh, that day. So if I have a great, you know, if I'm talking to the cashier and we have a connection, I'm going to say, hey, you're amazing at what you do. Has that somebody, when was the last time somebody told you you were amazing at what you do? Because uh, I, I, I never get that chance ever again in my life. So I love that you said that, Greg. In terms of the risk pillars, um, so yes, making a risk, you know, if I go after this conversation and put my whole life savings on, uh, what was that company on GameStop, um, that might not be the most, uh, important, you know, the, the, the smartest risk, <laughs> uh, to take because it's not, it doesn't have any of these pillars, which is what we're talking about here. So 
Um, one of the pillars is being clear on your on your purpose. And I know purpose is a loaded word, um, so I try to, to try to define that. But have be clear on some type of vision, even if it's small, for for why you're taking this risk. So for me, putting all of my savings into one stock. Um, that's not aligned with my long-term purpose of wealth generation and, and security and not knowledge. I have no knowledge of that, right? So if you're clear around your purpose and in alignment with that purpose, even a, even a little bit, that's going to that's gonna increase your risk tolerance in the right way because you're, you're moving towards something that matters to you. That's number one. Um, number two is having the ability to play the long game. So so often, and I talk about uh, in the book. I talk about the Alchemist, the book, which um, sold uh, 900 copies, you know, in its first year or something, um, and wasn't considered a success at all. Uh, so it, it didn't work, right? It was a huge risk, and you know, it, it just it, it didn't work. The reason why playing a long game is important is because we get rid of these timelines that you and I create. If you launch a book and it doesn't become a bestseller on launch week, then it's a total failure, right? Well. Coelho's book ended up selling, uh, well, today it's somewhere around 60 million copies, uh, even though, again, it originally only sold 900. So by playing the long game, our risk tolerance increases because it's not that it has to work in a month, is we can take a step back and, and after five years. And sometimes the things that didn't work actually become the things that end up working long term, if that makes sense. So that's number two. And then the last one is... Um, to make sure that you're in the right environments. So the if you're wanting, this is just an easy metaphor because I've been using it over and over again, but if you have a dream for launching your own business and you're sharing your risk with coworkers that don't have that desire, they're going to pull you back because they're going to say things like entrepreneurship is hard, nine out of 10 businesses fail, um, and their perspective is one from being inside of an organization. So don't tell those people about your risk. Instead, find people that already have the leap that you've created, the goals that you wanna that you wanna bring to life about the risk that you're taking, and they're gonna help you. And they're gonna say things like, um, you know, uh, you know, you're gonna leave your job. Like, what resources do you need? Who can I introduce you to? How can I help you? Are you sure it's gonna take you that long? Like they're going to support you in a way where the risk completely changes instead of what most people do is that they tell, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> they, they tell people who have given up on their dreams about the dreams, the leaps that they want to take. And it's natural human behavior to, uh, there's no, usually not malintent in this, but if you, if you haven't done something in your life and somebody's asking you for guidance about doing it, and you're really feeling regretful about not doing something, you're usually going to veer them off course. Um, again, the intention is usually not bad, but just based on your own experience and say, you probably shouldn't do that. So those are the three risk pillars that allow us to uh, increase our risk tolerance and understand that it's it's not just about whether this works in this moment. It's that we have, like you said, we have our whole lives. Now, we have the, we have to have the urgency, right? Because again, like you said, this could this could end tomorrow. And in the face of things like death, um, is it really risky to to take a shot, to chase down a different career, to move to a new city? Is, like, is that really risky? And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Well, I think we get drawn into the delusion, the Maya of life. And what we uh, focus on um, is uh, frequently in that delusion 
is the story we've made up that we tell ourselves. And yeah. so getting off a track like that, uh, getting off a purpose um, is really, really, uh, and it, it's invaluable to us. And we need to find a way to focus our minds so that the delusion and the Maya do not take over. And whether it's yeah. a meditation technique or contemplation or hikes in the mountains or going out surfing yeah. or riding your bike or whatever the multitude of things are that you do, you like to walk out and be with the rattlesnakes. Um, my, <laughs> my point is, is that we all have hopefully something. And if you don't have something, I'm going to encourage my listeners to go find something and find something hopefully in nature. Uh, because yes. it has been proven that that really helps to get you centered again and pull you out of the delusion. Because our world, let's face it, between the iPhone and the cell phones and the iPads and the computers and all the stuff we have, it's easy to get distracted. And that world that's coming through is easily the world of delusion and Maya. Okay. Yes. You talked about stocks. You know, I was looking at mine today going, oh my God, I'm in NASDAQ. And, you know, you look at it, it's down 390 points. That's the delusion you can get into. Is that real? Sure. Is that real? Or is it really not real? Right. Yeah. Um, right. So, it's true. Um, so if you were to leave our listeners with three takeaways of which you give wonderful takeaways at the end of most of your chapters, or you give things to contemplate and consider and write about, what would you say are the most important ones uh, for them to leave this podcast with and, and why? Yeah, no, that's great. So the three things, so number one would be to um, write write this prompt in the middle of a sheet of paper. And the prompt is, wouldn't it be fun, exciting, thrilling to dot, dot, dot. Um, and just start filling in the blanks. Usually this is best done when you're not in, in some intense work mode, but you've done something like you just discussed, like being out of nature, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't it be fun, thrilling or exciting to dot, dot, dot. And just let yourself go and take a step back and highlight one thing that's on that list um, that you're going to focus on. So that would be number one, because that, that helps you get clear about one action that you want to take. Uh, number two is on urgency. You touched on it. I touched on it. But I think urgency is one of the secret sauces to... Um, long-term performance, but also deep fulfillment in the sense that if you're able to harness urgency. So for example, depending on when this comes out, you know, there's about 90 days left and less actually less than 90 days left in, in 2021. 20, uh, Somebody listening still has enough time to make this year really special. I deeply believe that actually the constraint of 90 days allows for more progress many times than a whole year, because a year can be very far. We can lose our goals inside of a year. So number two is to harness urgency. Uh, and specifically during this time uh, at the end of the year, take the thing that you use number one on that you identified on and ask yourself, what, what action could you take that could bring the first thing that you chose to life in the next 80 days, 70 days, whenever this comes out, 30, even 30 days. Uh, and then the last thing is um, 
to actively practice uh, the art of detachment. So a lot, of, a lot of that we're ta- talking about here is about goals and leaps and growth and results and progress and life changes. And my my takeaway, my uh, encouragement is that those are beautiful, but also kind of like you mentioned, be able, be willing and able to disconnect from the need of those things to come to life. And it's obviously, it's a paradox. And I know you talk about it on the podcast a lot, but when you disconnect from the detachment, uh, not only do you feel better emotionally because you're not, your emotions aren't reliant on some external force outside of you, kind of like you, you spoke about with the stocks, um, but you tend to attract really good things faster. Uh, it's, 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 it's the old paradox. Um, so number three, practice detaching. And what does that look like? You know, uh, put it, put in, put in a good effort towards your leap and towards the progress that you're making, but then have strict rules and boundaries and experiences and, and times where you are completely shut off and you're not even thinking about your vision. You're fully present. So those are the three things based on, on our conversation. Tommy, uh, those are great. And I want to add something while I was actually, uh, listening to Tommy, I wanted to find out, you know, you have an academy called Resist Average and, sure. and the people can sign up for it. Go to his website, sign up for the Resist Average Academy. But the average person, let's talk about average, lives 27,327 days, yeah. 27,375 days. Now, if you took the days you've already lived and subtracted it from that, how many days do you have left? Yeah. Okay. So even give yourself age 100. I don't care. The point is, is that every one of these days is such a gift to go do something bold and to take a leap of your life, right? Here it is. Go take a leap, do something different, enjoy it. Um, so what is the outcome from that? The outcome from that is the joy you'll experience and the life experience you'll get from doing that. Some of them may not all be great. You may write something down and do it. And it turns out to be one of those lessons. Don't look at it from the negative, look at it from the positive. That's what we're trying to say. Uh, The way to basically sign up for Resist the Resist Average Academy is just go to resistaverageacademy.com. There you'll see Hustlers and Seekers. That's Tommy's new book. Sign up and get a chapter. Uh, when is your course uh, uh, launching or is it already out there? And what are we, what are we going to tell our listeners? Yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you, Greg. Uh, no, the, the, um, the Academy runs, uh, it's, it's open the first seven days of every month. Um, so that's uh, a continuous open enrollment. Uh, and of course, um, on Resist Average Academy, you can find... Um, you know, the books and, and the podcast and all the other fun stuff that we talked about, but I'm, I'm, I'm 700 episodes behind you. So. Okay. Well, you don't need to catch up. All you really need to do is keep enough people coming to Arizona or online who want That's to go true. through the resist average Academy. And I want to commend you for that. Tommy, thanks for being on the show for my listeners. We've been on with Tommy Baker, uh, the leap of your life, the 1% rule, He's got another new book coming out called Hustlers and Seekers. Go sign up for that one and pre-order it. When does that book break? 1026. 
Yeah, you would have one, I, haven't got, I, I haven't gotten a copy yet. We'll have you back <laughs> on the show for Hustlers and Seekers. How's that? That's amazing, Greg. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much.